Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and on the other side of the pond, we got Jens Vogt. Jensi, what's new at the zoo? Well, I just finished my job uh, commentating the Giro Italia stage. Quite interesting to do it again, and then I was just running out of my office, jumping in a car, driving back to my hotel, where I had all my equipment already pre-installed for the podcast, and I just made it in time to be here. I'm happy that I actually could manage to not letting you guys down. So it's all good here. And now I'm looking forward to a quiet evening after this. Yeah, you definitely deserve uh, a little quiet time running from one gig to another. But uh, these days, man, I, where where did we used to have five, six, seven hours a day to ride our bikes? You know, then throw in a nap there, throw in a massage. Uh, how, did, how did we ever get anything done? 10 hours of sleep a night? Those were the days, right? Yes, my friend, those were the days. And I looked 20 years younger. It's only last year, but I looked 20 years younger than today. But hey, my friend, no rest for the wicked. Nope, nope, nope. And talking about wicked, today we have Annemiek von Vluten as our guest. I mean, Annemiek has definitely won pretty much every race there is to win in, in women's cycling. She won two times the Giro d'Italia International Feminine. She was the world road race champion. She was two times world individual time trial champion. She's won the course by the Tour de France. She's won Strada Bianchi, Tour of Flanders. The list goes on and on. So sit back, relax, and listen to this amazing interview that we had today with Annemiek von Vluten. Well, today we have a very special guest. Welcome to Bobby and Jens, Annemiek von Vluten. Was that right? Yeah, shout out, guys. Perfect. All right. Well, I tell you, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, we've we've been trying to schedule this for a while, and I was like, man, you know, maybe she's on a break period. But man, you've been busy. You've been down in Spain. You won the Setemana Ciclista Valenciana. Um, with a very impressive um, stage one, winning by by two minutes. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the race that you won after that. That was also in Spain. Um, I will absolutely butcher that name, but you also won that one, holding off uh, Demi Vollering in in the in the rain. There, that looked a little dodgy, um, especially that little speed bump with like 100 meters to go, and then. Um, yeah, just yesterday you finished off in the Navarro Women's Elite Classic with uh, getting getting third place. So thank you very much for fitting us into your schedule. Yes, yeah, pleasure. I uh, discovered your podcast and uh, I really enjoyed actually to uh, listen to one to Marcel Kittel. I thought that was a really good one, and that uh, made me follow your podcast. So uh, nice to be now uh, your guest. So uh, Annemiek. You found your love for cycling relatively late, apparently. You were 24 years old when you started, right? Yes. What made you discover cycling? How did you discover cycling? And how quickly did you turn professional after that? Um, I was first a student. I really enjoyed my student time. And only in my last year uh, of my study, my fifth year, I did uh, animal science and epidemiology. Um, I uh, played soccer. And then I got injured in my knee and that was already for the third time. And then the doctor said like, yeah, okay, Annemiek, now you really have to stop because you're uh, destroying your body. 
And he recommended me to go for swimming or uh, yeah, riding a bike. And uh, yeah, I want to keep control a little bit of the kilos I gained as a student, drinking a lot of beers and uh, party uh, quite hard. So I thought like uh, I buy a bike and um, yeah, I missed a little bit uh, the, the, from the soccer, the team feeling. So that's why I joined the cycling club to to sport, enjoy sport together. And um, yeah, that's why I discovered that I had maybe some talent because I was giving the guys quite quickly a hard time. And uh, yeah, that's how I uh, I started uh, it in my yeah my last year of the university. Well, you're 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 selling yourself a little short there. You actually have a master's in epidemiology. Yeah, that's I mean, true. a master's. Yes. That's yeah. that's more than just finishing school and drinking beer. I mean, <laughs> you obviously had to work hard at that. I was good in both. <laughs> I finished it off in time, in, in five years' time, but I also enjoyed uh, my student life without thinking about uh, your fitness level or about, without thinking about uh, being healthy, uh, going to in time to bed. So, um, yeah, I I was really lucky that I was at that time not a cyclist. I have to add, actually, or to say that at this time it would not have been possible because I grew into the level of women cycling. At the, this moment, I think it's not possible to start so late anymore. So when I started uh, my cycling career, um, the women's sport was still a bit amateur level and only like five pro athletes. Um, yeah. Um, and now it's like completely different story how it is nowadays. So I grew in with the level. Uh, I made my way up. And talking about soccer, before we dive into your cycling career, what is your, what is your favorite football or, as we know it over here, soccer team? Yeah, you will not know it, but it's a team from a bit my area. It's FC Twente. I was a big supporter of that one. It's one of the East, near to the German border, actually. And I have a daughter that plays soccer, so I'm interested. What, what position did you play? And... Without that injury, do you think you would have stayed with soccer instead of switching to cycling? Uh, I played midfield. Um, I really enjoyed the, the team feeling, but I was not playing in a high level. So also my technical skills were so bad. I was just really good in running. And um, later in my career, cycling of a football career, they put me a bit more in the back because I was when they passed me, I was so fast that I, I and the condition was quite good that I... I um, uh, find them another time. So, uh, yeah, that was my, my strong point already, the, the running skills. And, okay, now now getting into your cycling career. Um, you've won pretty much every race there is to win out there over, you know, the plus or minus 14 seasons that you've been involved. But do you remember your first win at the professional level? Um, oh, at the professional level. Uh, nah, not I, I think uh, they all just kind of for me a big gel together. A big break breakthrough was for me the winning Tour of Flanders in 2011. I think uh, that was the first moment that uh, in 2010 I won some races, but no really big races. Um, and 2011 was the first time I won a really big one day a classic and uh, Tour of Flanders. Uh, at that time, it was one second on television, so that's also where I come from. Um, they organized it, but it was not, uh, yeah, that people can enjoy it on television, the action. But uh, I think it was a bit my breakthrough. Then I started to believe in myself and uh, a bit more. 
So now you are clearly one of the best female cyclists we have here, or probably also one of the best female cyclists of all times. Why do you think it is? You touched a little bit on it with your talent, but do you also train more or better than others, or is it just purely talent? I mean, there surely the others have talent as well, right? I think I'm not the most talented rider in the women's peloton. I think there are girls that have more talent and that are also soon going to beat me uh, because there are more and more strong girls coming up. And if they get the experience I have with my years and the endurance of what I have with my years, um, yeah, then they, they will quickly uh, give me a really hard time. And actually, I'm hoping also for this because that makes women's cycling more interesting. It's It's better if more... Girls also from different counties um, will fight for the wins. And I think already this year is, is quite interesting to see so many different girls winning. It's really good for my sport. Um, but at the moment, yeah, I can say that I use uh, my talent maybe to the maximum. And I also really enjoy to use it and really enjoy um, what motivates me is uh, to get the best out of myself. So it's not the wins are like for me the... The cherry on the cake, uh, we say in the Netherlands. Uh, but I really like the process and I like to make a plan with my coach uh, to get every year a little bit better. And I can say last year was my best year ever. So um, I'm still improving. And it has also maybe to do with something that, that I started quite late because I started only 22. So my learning curve um, yeah, ends a bit later than with girls that started already on 16 years old. Your attacking style definitely reminds me of, of Yenzi. Um, are you a numbers sort of person or are you just more spontaneous like, like Jens used to be? Yeah, I'm spontaneous. So I'm, I'm not at all a number person. I, I never check. I, 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 some years ago, I was more a number person. I tried to get control of cycling with my power meter and to get uh, the reference that I was doing a good job. But at the moment, I com last four or five years, I completely let that go. Also, my, my coach, I changed coach then, and he teach me just to race by feeling and to train also by feeling. And that works quite well for me and also gives me not the negative pressure of trying to get your numbers right and... Also with the time trial, I just go out on feeling and I have the confidence that I know that when it's a 20 kilometer time trial, I know what kind of pain uh, I should have for a 20 kilometer. And maybe with Jensi also, when I did attack uh, for the Yorkshire World Championship for 105 kilometer, I never checked my numbers, uh, but I just went by feeling for something that I could maintain for 100 kilometers. Yeah, not when I attacked for the climb though, because that was all out, but after. <laughs> Yeah, that that was an amazing uh, show display of of force and and pacing. Um, that was that was quite exciting. That was quite exciting. Um, so, being a time trialist myself, um, I'm interested. Like when you're warming up, what what music do you listen to, or or do you listen to music like in, you know for to get psyched up for a time trial? Yeah, I have a really good playlist for that with, with uh, songs that motivate me or remind me from a specific holiday or that put a smile on my face when I hear the, the song. Um, and yeah, also some inspirational music like with a good beat. Um, but I like the mix of songs. They're like really diverse music that usually all yeah put a smile on my face. We all know how... Um... 
people from the Netherlands love techno music. So do, is techno in your playlist at all? No, usually it's like everything with a guitar. I also played the guitar myself. So um, that's usually uh, more the music, what I love. Jens just listens to ACDC. Oh. That's, uh, I also like that's music from a little bit, uh, not really, yeah, some, for some years ago, I, I also can enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I got stuck in the 80s. I'm a little bit of a metalhead. Hey, Jensi, I, I won, I won uh, two, three days ago. I have a question for you. Uh, a really rainy day. And uh, I was wondering, like, were you also good in the rain? Because it's a mental game, no? Racing in the, racing in the rain. I, I struggle sometimes that you're not so motivated. But um, I think the people that don't get demotivated by the rain uh, are usually the ones that are good in the rain because they they get in a good mental state of loving the rain. I was wondering if you were also someone like that. Yeah, see, <clears throat> um, my two talents were I had a big engine and I had a strong desire to win. I was never the best sprinter, never the best climber. So for me, everything what made the race miserable and negative was good for me because other people lose motivation quicker than me. Of course, I love the sunshine, but my body worked well in the rain. And I realized if I keep my spirit up, half of the peloton already is broken. They give up, oh, it's rainy, it's cold, and it's, uh, you know, it's negative. And um, so it did help me to have some good performances in the rain, not necessarily because I was better than others, but I just refused to give up in the rain. And that helped me to perform in the rain. But uh, I was guessing this answer, yeah, that you, uh, in that way, you're also a bit similar. Like, uh, it also, I know when it's raining, half of the bunch is demotivated. So my chances of winning are, are getting higher. So I should be very happy with the rain. And I was guessing that you're also a bit like that. Yes. Yeah, I saw the other day when you actually won the race with your rain jacket on. I was like, oh, man, that's that's impressive. Um, let's Let's get in more to women's cycling i mean you've been involved with the sport for you know, 14 or so years now and the sp what the sport of women's cycling is starting to get the attention that it deserves um what sort of changes have you seen from the beginning of your career until present um that that you think is 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 positive moving forward for the sport of women's cycling uh, for sure what's positive is that we are more on television i think that's the uh, more and more so uh, more and more people can uh, enjoy women's cycling and also ask for it it's just it's not that um, it's shown on television but people uh, really ask like if there's a race it's not on television and now they ask like why it's not on television um, it's really important um, I think also a big step is that there are more teams are taking responsibility more teams have a plan to win a race so that makes also the racing more exciting when I started Racing, I think there were only three teams um, taking responsibility in a race. Uh, that time was HEC Colombia or the T-Mobile, uh, the team of Marianne Vos and uh, maybe one other team. And that was it. But uh, what had a plan going into the race? And nowadays, I think like now, uh, more and more girls every year more get uh, a salary. More and more girls can go full time for cycling and also get more professional in that way. Can train, um, yeah, better. Um, don't need to work um, uh, next to training and uh, I think yeah that is raising the level every year so every year more and more girls uh, get yeah, paid normally uh, it's still 
quite low. And I still wish that uh, all the girls in the bunch I'm racing with get a minimum salary that so they can go uh, full-time uh, to be a full-time athlete. That will help also to raise the level even more and will make it more interesting. And I also really hope that more and more uh, countries are stepping in. So, uh, yeah, it's important that we also win with different nationalities. And I think this year we are doing quite well with uh, make it more interesting and a lot of teams take responsibility. Um, yeah, that's what uh, I think a really good uh, step in making women's cycling more exciting. Well, there's no doubt women's cycling is is super exciting now. And I perhaps it always was. And being on television is is a key to that. And yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of different women winning you know, every weekend. It's not just the the same names, but uh, I mean, obviously you've been quite successful this year as, as well. But going back to like the development of Dutch cycling, because let's face it, um, you guys are doing something right in the Netherlands, especially for, for women's cycling. What is the current reason why Dutch cycling is is so strong, especially with the women? Now, first of all, uh, we all go to school by bike. So uh, we don't have uh, parents that bring us to school by car. Um, if you live 10 kilometers or 20 kilometers from school, you go there by bike. And um, that makes it also quite tough with, uh, in all weather conditions. I, I went six years to my uh, high school, uh, was 10 kilometers from my home, and my parents never, ever brought me uh, to school. And so I also went there with minus five degrees or in the rain, um, all weather circumstances I, uh, I could deal with. Um, so that's one thing. We're not afraid of uh, the weather. Um, and also, um, what is quite important, I think, uh, for uh, women's sports, we are quite supportive in the Netherlands. So in general, also um, in the Olympics, I think 70% was last Olympics won by women in the Netherlands. So um, where some countries are a little bit uh, behind with supporting also women athletes. Uh, I think in the Netherlands it's quite equal to give uh, women and men the same opportunities. Um, and on top of that, uh, what I see with my colleagues in, in cycling, um, I think the Dutchies were the first ones that to organize themselves at a training camp at altitude, for example. Like they, we, we just went by ourselves. We, we saw that the guys were doing altitude and then, uh, for example, Ella van Dijk, one of my colleagues, was the first one to go. We don't sit back and wait until it's organized, but we take um, responsibility about our own business. We see as being an athlete is um, yeah, running your own business, take responsibility also for that and don't wait, sit back, lean backwards to, uh, to someone to arrange it for you. So, um, yeah. Um, that's also, I think, one key success. And I see sometimes with other countries that they are a little bit less proactive in organizing their own business. Man, I tell you, I wish it was the same situation uh, here in the U.S. With um, That's one of the things that I dread is, is driving my daughters to school. That uh, if they had a bike, that would be great. And that's the way it was when I was growing up. I rode my bike to school and... Um, you know, it must have must have worked, but uh, kids nowadays aren't aren't as active on bicycles, and I don't think over here in the states we're we as parents are are as comfortable as that. But, but with also, the Netherlands uh, having yeah, our bike infrastructure is so safe. So we have separate yeah. bike lanes. Like 
I'm not always too happy to live in my country and not always too proud, but something I'm really proud of is how we, uh, how safe our bike cycling uh, in uh, infrastructure is. And also car drivers in the Netherlands are aware that all the uh, kids go to school and also their kids go to school. So they really take care of uh, people on bikes. And uh, we are, I think, one of the most friendly uh, bike uh, countries and I, I think I would also not be happy to send my kids uh, on the road in Australia or in America. I must say I once had a quick holiday with the family, my kids, my wife in Amsterdam and I can tell you the people on a bike pass there they fully expect you to respect the bike pass and to don't walk on it. They go pretty mad at you if you walk on the bike pass. They go, no, it's the bike pass. I don't care if you're a tourist or not. So we learned the lesson. I mean, fortunately, I come from like, you know, from cycling. So I told the kids, listen, these people don't take prisoners. Do not walk on their line and watch right and left when you cross a bike pass. It's like a little street. Fortunately, I did that. So it saved my kids and my wife from some stress. But you are right. You got a perfect infrastructure for bikes in the city and outside of the cities. And that makes it so much safer for people to train on these bike passes. Yeah, yeah like I said, um, Netherlands is doing something right for sure. How easy is it for a women, woman junior racer to get involved in the sport? I know that you guys have a lot of clubs and that seems where you know you start to get the traction. But like, if you're a 15, 16 year old woman right now um what are those steps i mean i'm trying to trying to get some information here so that maybe i can pass it along to to usa cycling yeah actually i don't know i also skipped this part uh in my development so um because i only started with 22 and it's only what i see that like uh the cycling clubs are so uh, spread out of our country so you don't need to travel really far there are a lot of cycling courses in the cycling clubs uh, also what I really like actually is that usually they start with cyclocross, I think, or mountain biking. I like that better because then you get the skills as a young athlete. Young, uh, you should not focus on training, more on getting the skills as a, as a young riders. And yeah, to have it fun and not focus too much on training. Um, and yeah, I think from there you can start later with the age of 16, 17, maybe on the on the road bike. Um, then they start to enjoy that liberation. But at a young young age, I think I would encourage, uh, yeah, to start cyclocross or mountain biking. Um, and that's also how they uh, a lot of cycling clubs start with fun, like like to have fun in cycling and to make games and to have fun together to go for weekends together to do some competition in the Netherlands with also has like in the in the afternoon a program of uh, some uh, uh, to play to, some games together so I think um, yeah also for me still fun is the most important days of and not the don't put too soon pressure with performance um, and I still it's also why I still enjoy riding my bike is because I don't put too much pressure on myself I still manage to have fun on my bike and I don't put too much that I have to do a certain wattage or that I have to do a certain power that you cannot eat anything or yeah it's uh, yeah it's also what I love from Mathieu van der Poel for example he's doing what he's loving and that's why I think he's a really great role model. Do you structure your hard training and racing around the the hormonal changes that that all women have to deal with because you know, I, I, I haven't worked with that many women athletes, but it really seems to be 
um, an important point to think about for, for, for all coaches. But I'm just curious if that is, um, is kind of fit into your, your training and racing program. Oh, interesting question. Now, for me, not, but I think it's very individual how much you struggle with your period and uh, how much it changes also your mental state. And some girls really uh, suffer from the periods and the hormonal dif- uh, changes in their body. Um, so I think they have coaches that will take uh, it into account. And I also heard of some of my colleagues, they put it into our training peaks when they have the period. Um, so the coach can take it into account. But uh, yeah, I'm, for me, it's it's not necessary to change this because I, I don't have that fluctual uh, changes in my in my body. Um, maybe I heard when you want to target the one hour, uh, one hour record, for example, that uh, girls plan to do it in their period because they can have more pain at that uh, period. So maybe then it's something to take into account. But for the rest, uh, no, I, I'm not... Um, changing my training. Alrighty. So the upcoming Olympics, you for sure still want to go back there, right? After the way you had to leave the last Olympics. By the way, I'm so glad you are here because when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, she's never going to walk again. That was my first thought. It was a really, really terrible looking crash you had. Don't want to talk too much about it. So the upcoming Olympics, what's your preparation looking like? And by the way, from my point of view, it looks like it is harder to qualify for the Dutch national team than actually win the Olympics in the end, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I uh, I think it's already really hard to make the team and I was still not sure. I knew that uh, um, I had to perform really well in this spring, otherwise I would not have made the team. And for example, in the 2016, I was not even selected for the time trial. Um So that's how high the quality also is and how good that we perform also in the in the time trial. Like the last uh, elephant I got uh, also a medal last year in the World Championship and we leave her home. So it's super sad that we can only uh, race with four girls. I'm really happy that this is improving. So that's also something um, I'm happy with that for the next Olympics, uh, we at least have equal uh, riders with the men and the women. So um that will make it also more interesting that we can race then with 130 girls. And now we have only 63, if I am right. So that's a really small amount of, of girls that can race. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, I'm super happy to be an Olympic team. that be one of the four. And especially even more that I'm one of the two that are targeting the time trial together with Anna van der Breggen. Well, other than the Olympics, the new news is that it was announced recently that there's going to be a women's Tour de France um, coming back in 2022 after, geez, what, about 30-year hiatus. How excited are you for this race? And do you think that it will instantly have the same prestige as the men's race? I'm super excited uh, for almost all the new races on our calendar that uh, are there. Um, it's always good for my motivation to have new targets and new challenges. And the Tour de France is for sure one of them next to the Giro Italia, but it's not a new, uh, new challenge. Um, I'm quite excited, uh, because I heard some good stuff that they want to start the Tour de France just after the men are finished, which I think is really interesting and really, uh, smart to make a combination with the men Tour de France, but not have it at the same time, because you're never going to win the competition 
from the attention with the guys if they are having their tour de France. It's too big. So I think I'm really happy that they want to organize it just after the men's tour de France. And I also like that they want to have it like, uh, yeah, that it should be a really sustainable uh, tour de France for women. Um, yeah, I really believe in the concept. I think they're doing a, a great job. Okay, now, before I go, I have a question. You still live in Wageningen, right? Yeah. Back home. Yes. Why didn't you live? I mean, I stayed, I decided to live in Berlin as well and uh, train under my German weather conditions all year long. But what, what makes you decide to stay back home? Is it family, friends? Do you believe it's the climate that's good for you, that makes you tougher in racing? Why did you stay home and don't move to Italy, Tuscany, or to Girona, or wh wherever they all live? Yeah, so I, I studied at the university uh, in Wageningen, and that's why I still live there. Um, still my friends uh, live there. Um, so after I come back from a tour of Flanders, I come really home, and I can disconnect from the cycling life. And that's why it never attracted me to move to Girona. Okay, I really like uh, good weather, so I travel a lot. And I decided to go for good weather for training camps and go to Tenerife or to Italy, to the mountains a lot. But still, after the races uh, in a race block in Ardennes or in, in Flanders, I come home. And yeah, I really love to disconnect and see my friends and not being with cycling people all the time. So that's the motivation why I, why I still live in Wageningen. That sounds so much like me. You're obviously in the middle of a big racing block right now. When is your kind of next uh, break from racing where you can try to disconnect when you go home and, and see your friends? and? Like, what do you look forward to when you do go home and, and have those couple days or a week to yourself? Yeah, so I just had after Liège, which was a really big, important block for me, from to the Flanders to uh, Liège. Um, I had 10 days home. And then I uh, never touched my uh, road bike. Uh, I went every day for mountain biking. And nowadays they have, like, super cool uh, single track track. Um, Uh, mountain bike uh, stuff in the Netherlands so especially also where I live in Wageningen it's uh, quite some forest so it's not the open windy uh, western part of the Netherlands where I live but I live more to uh, yeah to the uh, to the east of uh, Utrecht which is quite uh, nice with a lot of forest and um, and in the evening um, I'm a big fan of playing Koloniste van Catan or Jens you would know it is like Zietlers van Catan <laughs> of course, I have that. I love that game. Yeah. It's a fantastic game. And then yes. I, I play also Stette und Rieten. So uh, it's a competition with my uh, student friends. I, I We are doing it for 14 years now, I think. Um, and every month we come together, we have dinner together, and then we play the game. And it's a big, big competition. Um, the one that wins uh, third out of first out of three times in a in a competition, they... He, We take them out for uh, for dinner, so the other trees are paying. So it's uh, a lot to um, to fight for, and um, yeah, I really like that, and um, that's one uh, some really exciting for me. Uh, good uh, evening with some friends. Um, I also like uh, to go out for dinner. It's also uh, one of the things I really love to do with some friends. Then I'm home, um, and also like cooking. Actually, like I think it's really relaxing to. To make my own, uh, own food at home and um, yeah, have a, have a sunny coffee ride also gives me always energy. When the sun is out shining, I, uh, I really enjoy the sun. Yeah, talking food, 
What's what's your like? What do you like? Like Italian food, like a cyclist. You go Mexican. You like steaks. You like vegetarian pasta or what's what's the type of food that uh, makes you happy? Where you where you looking for for restaurants? Um, yeah, because in in cycling life, I have too much chicken and pasta, especially chicken. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so there's no I there's know. no chicken restaurants for me because I have way 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 too much. <laughs> Uh, in Italy, I still enjoy the pasta because they are like served well. But uh, the pasta from the buffet, it's uh, it's not something that is really um, um, I, I really can enjoy. But the pasta in in Italy, usually in Italy, the food I, uh, I always enjoy: uh, a risotto, a pasta, gnocchi, a, a good pizza. In Italy, like actually all the food in in Italy, I really like. Um, and also a big fish lover. So um, then I'm uh, next to the sea. Uh, I go for a fresh tuna steak grilled. Yeah, then uh, I can also really enjoy. Just simple, I think. Not too fancy, but simple, healthy food. I can really enjoy. And also actually vegetarian. I'm, I'm not too big on, uh, on a lot of meat. Um, but I also can enjoy some vegetarian meals. Um, but also I can enjoy a sushi or Thai food. Yeah, actually, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm really a food lover. Um, yeah, but uh, usually the, the food we get in the hotels with inciting life for me, that's a little bit of a struggle because that's uh, usually not exceeding the level of chicken and pasta. Yeah, I definitely don't miss those those meals now. It seems like, you know, every team has their personal chef and a meal truck. Yeah, with the guys, you... with the guys, but not with the girls. I, I... I was going to ask, I was going to ask, so that's not yet a a staple in women's cycling? No, and I think it would be the highest on my wish list to have a kitchen truck. Um, uh, it's the first thing um, I would really enjoy because also in the stage races, um, you're, um, yeah, you can just eat what they serve you and... Um, we had in the Ardennes, we had the kitchen truck from Mobistar team in the, there. And it was so nice to have their quiet dinner with the team. And the chefs were cooking so well for us. So I got so, so much spoiled in the, in the Ardennes and in Flanders. So uh, it's now hard to uh, be back in the hotel food uh, style of racing. But yeah, it is what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, that, uh, I think sometimes the food could be a bit, also a bit more healthy. I, one last question on the, on the, nutrition side um obviously you eat very very well but i'm curious what is your like cheat day food what is your favorite thing when you that you know like hey this isn't good for me i'm not gonna eat it all the time but for me it's was is potato chips like that until recently that was my thing but i'm curious like is there one cheat food that you allow yourself to have every now and then because you know nowadays cyclists are so in tune with their diet that uh, they don't have many of those cheat days anymore? Yeah, first of all, I would say that I got rid of the word cheating because then it gives you the feeling that you're doing something wrong. And I actually, I added it to my diet because I think it's more healthy to have sometimes something that's maybe not uh, according to a lot of cyclists' ideal food. Um, and I, so I would get rid of the word cheating because then you feel guilty eating it. And I don't feel guilty at all. And I have a good example of this. Uh, when I go every Sunday, I go to my neighbors, uh, my good friends also. Uh, also, I'm really happy to live in Wageningen. I'm spoiled with really good neighbors. They're my friends. And, and the Sundays, they uh, give me always, yeah, potato chips. That's uh, so the cold ones then. I don't know. We call it just chips. 
and uh, and I can choose the variety. And we we make a little bit of difference in my off season. I get a really big one with a refill, no problem. And if I have to watch a little bit more my food, they will not offer me a refill and give me a little bit more small, um, um, yeah, amount. Uh, but yeah, that's something I really enjoy. And I think they really enjoy my smile when I'm uh, enjoying my chips after a tour de Flanders and uh, I have my evening with my neighbors. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, we've, we've taken up enough of your rest day uh, time. But one last question. When you do finally hang up your, your wheels and your, your cycling sh- shoes, how would you like to be remembered? And what plans would you have in the future? I mean, you have a master's degree. Would it be something in that area or DSing, or would you like to stay involved in the sport in some way, shape or form? What, what, what is the next step for you? Yeah, actually, I don't have any clue yet. Um, for sure, it's not uh, something I know for sure. It will be not in the scientific world because uh, I, when I finished my master degree, I was so tired of the scientific research sitting into an office doing off uh, sitting behind the laptop. Now I want to do something to work with people that gives me energy. Um, one of the reasons I signed with Mobistar was also was uh, because I am really excited to work with talent and to help a little bit the future talents um, to, yeah, to just uh, target some something together and achieve more together. Um, and especially young talented riders, I really enjoy um, to see them growing and getting better every race that's something that gives me also really a lot of energy so maybe i want to do something later with coaching um, i think yeah i would like um dsing also is maybe an option um but i'm not so sure if i still want to be so much away from home uh, at that time so that was the the, the downfall but um, the coaching part of the dsing is uh yeah is is quite exciting um also, something I, I think about is uh, to get just more people out of the gym, out of the fitness, get more people and especially more women on the bike that they see like it's so much fun to ride your bike. Uh, start with a coffee in the cafe, catch up with your uh, with your friends. Uh, it's a really good combination of being outside, getting more fit, uh, talk with your friends and having fun on the bike and challenge them sometimes on some Shrava segments or whatever. Um, yeah, that's a really a development I see now in the Netherlands, and I uh, maybe I really want to uh, to add to this uh, development of getting more people, um, yeah, enjoying riding the bike. And yeah, I don't know when I will quit. I'm still loving it so much. Um, I'm still uh, performing quite well. Um, I also the my team most gives me opportunity to uh, a lot of freedom back and enjoy uh, my cycling life. So um, and. It, yeah, signing with this new team also gave me new energy. So um, I'm not really thinking about stopping yet. I still see uh, a lot of new challenges. Annemiek, um, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you there. You were probably the most high-profile person we had so far. I was excited to actually have a chance to talk to you, triple world champion. You know, you you are a champion and it was really a good talk with you. You're such a wonderful personality. So thanks again for joining us and giving us so much time. In despite the fact that you were still racing and you're training hard and getting ready for the Olympics coming up. So thanks again for being part of our podcast, Annemiek. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure. Next time, I would say we repeat it again, and then you uh, make sure you have better internet connection. So you can also add a little bit more to the conversation, Jensie. Yes, I will. I will work on it. Yes, and rendezvous after Olympics. We talk again somewhere in October or November, please. Okay, now let's... Uh, I say uh, we do, and we take a Paulana, Paulana with that. That's my favorite, uh, favorite beer. Oh, look at that. Wow, Yes, yeah, Weizen. Oh, there you go. You know it all. Oh, fantastic. It's my favorite. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay, see you in October. Yes, I will. We will. So today we had a couple gremlins pop in to the podcast as far as internet connection, but everyone in the podcast world has to deal with this time to time. So hopefully it wasn't that big of a deal, but um, there were a couple interruptions with our internet connection today, but Got to roll with the punches. Now, Yenzi, Anamik mentioned a game that she enjoys playing with her friends. Um, I think she said it in Dutch and maybe German. But can you give myself and our listeners a little bit of more information about what game she was actually talking about there? Oh, absolutely. Because I got that game at home and I love it. I played with the kids. It's called The Settlers of Catan. Die Siedler von Katan in German. And it's one of these tabletop uh, games. You like sit around the table, three or four people. Everybody gets like a few resources, like a little piece of uh, wood and uh, stone and whatever, some uh, uh, food. And then you got to build a new village or build a road to find another place, uh, find new resources. It's strategy, a little bit of luck involved. Strategy, you got to think ahead, you got to deal and... Uh, with your opponents. It's a pretty interesting game and you can spend easily half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour um, per match. It's a fantastic game. I can only highly recommend it and I'm so glad that I find another active pro athlete actually enjoying that game as much as I do. Oh man, that brings back memories. Uh, all those years that we were roommates, um, you had a game that um, you had to build like an amusement park and make money and do things. And I remember for like two days straight, there was something that was going wrong with your hot dog stand, uh, your virtual hot dog stand. And you were just, I can't figure out why it's not making any money. And then like a day and a half or two, two days later, when I walked into the room, you informed me that the orientation of the hot dog stand was actually facing a wall so none of the people could actually come up and buy hot dogs and you you it was like you had just won a stage of the tour de france that you had finally figured out why your hot dog stand wasn't profitable um that that those were good times man you were totally into that sort of stuff bobby that's so funny that you remember that day because i for sure remember when I tried to fix my zoo, I think it was a zoo tycoon, the game, name of the game. And I tried to fix that hot dogs. And, and in the end, it's so easy. Yeah, of course, it was facing the wrong way, but it's a small little computer screen. How would I know? How would I see? I was so happy when I solved the problem. Too funny that you remember that, Bobby. Oh, the Game Boy Master. That's You were that, that's for sure. And here we go with our weekly Shutter Blacks Award of the most courageous ride we saw. And I'm going to give it to our guest today, to Annemiek van Fleuten, for winning the first stage of the Setamana Ciclista Valencia with an impressive solo holding off the chasing group, the chasing peloton behind. That is my Shutter Blacks ride 
of the week. Brave and courageous and putting it all on the line and not being afraid of failure. Yeah, she won that stage by by over two minutes and then went on to win the, the general classification as well. So uh, good honor, good honor. So my hashtag shut up legs rider of the week award. Um, I was going to give it to Caleb Ewan. I mean, he had such an amazing sprint yesterday uh, in stage seven of the Giro. Um, he had to close a gap to, to Milano there, and then he was still able to launch his sprint after that for a very impressive win. But I'm going to go with Gino Motter from Bahrain Victorious. Um, you know, he won stage six of the uh, Giro d'Italia. The day before, his leader had crashed out of the race. He jumps into the breakaway. It's an uphill finish. He has Egon Bernal and company breathing down his neck. And he takes one of the biggest wins of his career. I love that um, fighting spirit. You know, when when things are when the chips are down and you lose your leader, you can you can go one way or another. And they flipped it on its head. He won the stage. And remember, this was the rider that looked like he had stage seven of Perry Nice this year wrapped up, only to have Primos Rolich uh, roll him right on the line. And this this was so close. I mean, it was only 12 seconds there at the end, but he got to put his hands in the air. So Gino Motter, you are my hashtag shut up legs rider of the week. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Huge thanks to Animeek for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a VeloNews production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.